Waymaker. I don't know if I've ever been a part of a service to have a surge like that, but I did preach one time in Talladega and the lights went out. So we're going to pray that that's not what happens today. But we are grateful to the Lord um, for his goodness. He is a way maker. And, you know, I was just thinking as I um, heard that song and what Tina said that we were talking about right before service, um, as I reflected, um, there are so many times just personally, just in my life, you know, things happen and, you know, most most of what I think about is my family or, you know, the church or whatever the case may be. But one of the things that I had to be reminded of, even when things happen that I don't expect, um, the Lord is a way maker. The Lord has made ways and done things. And even if I worry about this building sometimes, me and how we're talking yesterday, I got to be reminded that never would have imagined that this could be, and I just think about and reflect on the goodness of God, and that's why it's so important when we reflect on our minds, it's so easy for us to look at what's happening now and what's going wrong and what we would change, but when we look back at the pattern of our lives and see where the Lord has carried us from and where he's brought us to, it just reminds us of his goodness. So, um, I'm excited today about this sermon, so you probably noticed the title. It's um, Lazy Christians and Empty Churches. And so I wanted to make, obviously, a clear point with this sermon title. And I don't want to be the kind of person that exists in a fantasy world. The truth is that most churches aren't even the size of us, and the struggle for many churches is getting people in. How do we get people in? And I'll be honest, the most common question in my head is, where is everybody? You know, I'm not blind. I'm not dumb. I don't think any of us are. What is the hang-up? And so, no, this is not a blame game Sunday, but I do think this is a dose of sobering truth, sobering reality, hard-to-swallow pills that will help us see, help us see a fuller picture of ourselves and even the world around us. So we have to be honest. We have had to learn, and I've had to learn personally, that no one is going to come to Christ because of me. No one will come to Christ because I'm a good preacher or because we have good music or because we have a nice building or because we are friendly. No one comes to Christ because of those things. People only come to Christ by way of the word of God and real truth, but real truth that they can actually digest. Not force-fed truth, not force-fed meals, but fully prepared meals that people actually need to eat. Last week, we talked about this is the way. So how do we as believers help people find that way? How do we drag that horse to the water? Well, I think it takes, first of all, us convincing people that the water is even needed in the first place. When looking around at some of the empty pews, I can't think, how can I preach better? It has to be, how can I, as a Christian, become more visible to people who aren't in this church? 
How can what is preached on Sunday actually be lived out the rest of the week? And so what we're going to see today is that Paul actually takes two approaches. One, he addresses Christians and he tells them, look, you've got a job to do. But then he also addresses unbelievers. And so in today's sermon, I hope to do the same. Let's talk to those of us who know the Lord, but let's also understand the people who don't. To do this, we're going back to Romans 10. We're in verse 13, and we're going to go all the way down to 21. Romans 10, 13 through 21. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then would they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this sermon, the truth is that every single one of us has a job to do as believers. God, every single one of us at times loses sight. We even lose motivation. But God, let this sermon be a reminder of what you've called us to do and that any expectations we set or have start with us. And God, let us know the condition of the people we are actually called to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Communication is the root of of expectation. Communication is the root of expectation. And what I mean by that is, is that it is downright foolish of any of us to expect anything of anyone that hasn't been communicated or explained. Because inevitably what happens when you haven't communicated your expectations, it leads to unrealistic, impossible to meet expectations. You believe somebody should be doing something, but you never actually communicated to them, this is what I expect you to do. And what happens when you have these expectations you haven't communicated, it breeds resentment and frustration. It reminds me of this friend that I had that was getting married and I remember I was frustrated because I never got an invite to his wedding. I was furious because I knew I wasn't invited, but I didn't understand why. And so just on the basis of not getting that invite, I figured that the friendship was over. 
And if you know me, you know well enough, I proceeded to unfriend and unfollow and block. Because I don't play that. Months pass. Don't think I'm ever going to run into him. I actually run into him in the store. Now, he's mad at me for not coming to the wedding. I said, brother, I ain't get an invite. How can I come to something that I'm not even invited to? Well, he said that he invited me. I said, you're lying. And he gets his phone, and he reads the invite, and he reads the address, and boom, it went to the wrong address. He intended to communicate to me, but the communication broke down. And so me, instead of communicating to him, I chose to be absent. The breakdown in communication caused a breakdown in expectation and a breakdown in my presence. I think this is the struggle that many churches have today. In Paul, in 13, Paul says, everybody who calls is saved. And many people just stop at that verse, but they actually miss the depth that goes if you read just a little bit further. Many people call on Jesus but aren't saved. So what's the point? The point is this. The call equals confession. Salvation precedes the call. But the point is not that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord universally is saved. No, everyone is not saved. It doesn't matter if you can say Jesus when you're about to fall. That doesn't mean that you are saved. No, his point is this. You can't call anyone if you don't have their number. That's really his point. I have a friend whose number comes up private unless you have it saved in your phone. And he had my number first, but I didn't have his because every time he called, it was private. So he could call me, but I couldn't call him. And so one day we were getting off the phone. He says, Brandon, you know, you can call me anytime. I said, well, actually, no, I can't. Because you haven't shared your number with me. How can you expect me to call what I don't have? Paul says, how can they call on him who they don't even believe in? Who? Unbelievers. And this is the church frustration. Where is everybody? We need more people in the church. Why aren't people getting saved? Why aren't people getting baptized? And I think the problem is, is that the majority of unbelievers are not here. They're there. They're not in here. They're out there. And they don't believe. And foolishly, we expect them to call on the Lord. And they don't even have the Lord's number. That's the breakdown. And in almost any friendship, relationship, if I expect something that I have not properly communicated, what happens? I feel a way. 
If we have an expectation of unbelievers, yet we are not the ones actually communicating, building relationships with unbelievers, you know what happens? You start to feel a type of way about the people in this community. You start to feel a type of way because people would rather stay at home than to come to church. And they feel a type of way about us. Because we only care about them coming to church. We don't take interest in their souls. We take interest in where they sit on Sundays. If they don't believe in God, if unbelievers don't value God, if they don't prize God, why would they come to church? More specifically, because I know how I preach, why would they come to this church? You're an unbeliever. If I were an unbeliever and I had to sit through this for 35 minutes, I wouldn't. But I want you to think about this. You know where I have never set foot in. I was driving yesterday on my way back here, and I passed a mosque. There's a Buddhist temple coming up before you hit East Lake Boulevard, the Kingdom Hall. You won't know as I run it. A lot of them have been to the door before. They have come to my door. I'm not stepping foot in there. And I know I ain't going in there. Why? Because they fundamentally believe something different than what I believe. Why would I go in there? And the reality is, the only way I would actually step foot in a mosque, in the kingdom hall, in the Buddhist temple, in other folks' churches. The only way I'm going to step foot in there is that what I currently believe would have to be uprooted. And I'm telling you, there is not a soul alive that can come in one instance and uproot what I currently believe. And you definitely not going to do that by knocking on my door. So when we think about conversations that we are having with unbelievers, I want you to think about this. You think that you're not having to uproot what has already grown and been established? That they don't have a core set of beliefs and values, things that they are holding on to? You think one conversation is going to change that? You think Cam's in a neighborhood and saying, I'm so-and-so that I know you've never heard of and I know you've never seen and who's never taken interest in your life until now. Do you think that's really going to be enough? They don't believe what we believe. So what would it take for you to stop believing what you believe? you would have to be completely divorced from what you currently believe. And my question is just this. Do you really think that's easy? How can I be mad at people in the world or my community or even my life for not knowing the Lord and they barely know me? 
And I like what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 7. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. Listen to this. Not only were we ready to share the gospel of God, but we were also ready to share ourselves. Because you have become very dear to us. He says, you didn't just get the gospel from me. You didn't just get information, but you got my heart. Y'all got my, my soul. And the struggle is that many of us who claim to be Christians are not doing that. How can I ask for your soul when you don't have mine? So, of course, the way the world views God is distorted. It's misaligned. It's misguided and misunderstood. But how? How can I personally rectify that? Honestly. I know this is not going to be what a lot of people want to hear, but it's probably not coming from the pulpit. I can only reasonably preach one sermon to a small group of people every week. But I'm one person preaching one sermon to a group of people. This is the truth. It's the truth of me. This is the truth for you. The sermons that are preached in this church are only as effective as what we do with them once we leave. It is my fear that many Sundays we get up and the words that were preached, the labor, the toll over the word of God gets left in the pew. Y'all, unbelievers can't call on a God they don't know. And if they're not here, how will they hear? Who's responsible? He says, everyone who calls is saved. But if they don't believe, they can't call. And how can they believe in anything or anyone in whom they have never heard of? Now, you will be hard-pressed to find anyone around you who will say, well, I don't know who Jesus is. Everybody knows who Jesus is. So that means that maybe this is deeper than just knowing who he is. I know who the rock is. I know who Tom Brady is, feel like he's my best friend. But the point is, I can't call him because I don't know him. And what you learn is that everybody, everybody has an idea of who Jesus is. So how do you engage with people? Y'all, don't call me a heretic to all the real sound folks. They be listening to me, they be having me preach places. I'm not a heretic, but let me just let me just say this. Crazy as it sounds, 
maybe you don't start with Jesus. Crazy as this may be, maybe you don't jump into quoting scriptures at folks. I am astounded sometimes when I run into Christians who don't know I'm a Christian, but it's their main goal to let me know they're a Christian so they can make me a Christian. You didn't even ask me my name yet. You don't even know anything about me to make this assessment, yet your primary objective is to convert me for me or for you. I remember getting a text from... I'll say he's a friend, just in case he's watching. But I remember getting a text from a friend, and he asked me to meet him for lunch. And I hadn't talked to him at that point in about a year. So I was like, okay, cool, because y'all know I'm quick to have a lunch, especially if I'm not going to pay. I like to parlay them lunches into me not paying. And so I was like, okay, good. It'll be good to catch up. And so we get there. He's like, what's up, Brandon, man? Like, I wanted to catch up with you. I hadn't talked to you in a while. And he opens his book bag. He's pulling out material. I said, this is a sales pitch. You ain't want to have no lunch with me. You only wanted to sell me some material. So I ate my free meal and I went home. Because I quickly realized you weren't really interested in me. You were just interested in what I could do or provide or how I could serve you. And y'all, I know you may not think that this is the case, but this is actually what happens so many times with many of us who say we're Christians. Yes, you take an interest in them, but you only need to take an interest in them because you are interested in their souls, not only where they sit on Sundays. Look at how Jesus engages with people. He does not come out and say, by the way, I'm the Messiah. By the way, I'm the son of God. He, he almost never does that until they come to this revelation. Why? Because Jesus is not an opportunist. He is not an, elite, an elitist, but he knows how powerful the words that he speaks are. So he doesn't have to come to anybody with the front. If I don't trust that the words and the relationship that I can build with somebody is effective, then I got to come up with a front. I got to make the church not look like a church. I got to make me not look like a Christian. And then I got to pretend as if I'm interested in them. But Jesus is humble. And remarkably, Jesus can see Everybody. Jesus can see Zacchaeus. He can see Matthew. He can see Peter, the man at the pool of Bethesda, Mary, Martha, the adulterous woman, Lazarus, Nicodemus. He can even see a child who has a lunch. Jesus can see Everybody. People were transformed, not because he had an agenda, but because they had him. Churches, y'all, are emptying because many of us don't want to do the work of Christ. 
Look, I know we know how to invite people to church, but when is the last time that we actually took stake in someone else's life? When we listened to them, where we weren't trying to prove our point or get our conversation started, when we empathized with them, and then once the relationship was built, then now that you trust me, let me tell you who you really need to trust. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, y'all, needs to be heard, but he also got to be seen. And maybe this is not some random stranger the Lord wants you to invest in. Maybe this is a wayward child, a lost sibling, or an almost too far gone friend. You may be frustrated with them, but ask this. Do they know Jesus or do they just know me? John says emphatically, I am not the light, but I can show you the light. The woman at the well says, I know, amen. Listen, knowing Jesus doesn't require you to become something you're not, but it actually allows you to be what you never could have been without him. And the call to be saved, nobody can make that call if they don't believe. And you can't believe if you're not hearing the truth. And you can't hear the truth if no one is preaching the truth, the word. So let me reverse the course so you can understand what Paul says. He says, preachers are sent by God announcing the good news of Jesus Christ. Y'all, this starts with the apostles. This starts with the disciples. More people hear the word. More people believe the word. Some of those people become preachers, and then they go out, and then more go out. And the more they go out, the more people hear. And the more people hear, the more people believe. And the more that they believe, the more that they go out. And people are saved, and they call on the Lord. So when we get up here and we preach the word of God, this is not just for your edification. That is a part of it. But this is also what every sermon is. Every sermon is a battle cry. It is a call to arms. We come back after having been on the battlefield in the trenches all week long to get more orders from the word of God so that we can know when we go back out how to address the enemy that is before us and love the lost and go into the very bowels of hell itself and bring if but one wayward soul back to Christ if but one back from the grip of the enemy from the chains of sin and death and hand them over to the Lord and let me tell you like this you can't do that by being lazy 
And you cannot do that by giving in. Yes, I, I'm exhausted. I personally am tired. And I'll be honest, there are many days where I'm weak and weary. But then I have to reflect on the promise of Scripture. And it's this. They, they that wait upon the Lord. What does he do? The Bible says he renews our strength. And because of that, we can run. We ain't going to get weary. We can walk, but we won't faint. Because if you get weary or you faint, some may not hear. And this is the whole truth. I can't believe in what I don't know. And Paul sums it up like this. How did any of us come to faith? We heard. We heard the gospel. And he says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. I said earlier in the sermon that all of the sermons that we preach will only go as far as we take it. But you, you will only go as far as the word of God that's implanted in you. You think one sermon is enough for a week of hell and Satan's cheering? You think one sermon, one Fellowship with believers is enough. Opening the word of God one time is enough. No. It must be in you. And no, I don't mean quoting scripture at people, but it must be like a fresh encounter when they come in contact with you. Where you don't have to go the simple route and say, well, thus says the Lord, but can have the text literally painting and coloring your life in such a way that you don't only have to quote about grace, but you can show it. You don't only have to quote about love, but you can live it. A lazy Christian quotes only. But one who is striving to be like God, they live it and they exude it. Me and Emil were talking last night because we were here. We were, he's working on the ad, but then we just ended up talking. And I don't know how many months we've been talking, but, and I remember maybe telling him I worked at a private school and I was a pastor, but that was about it. Y'all know how I do. But I had made a point not to invite him to church because that's one thing I don't do. Plus, it's always a little weird when you preaching at the church and they walk in, it's like, but eventually, because of relationship, when people know people, when they trust people, when they know somebody actually cares about them, doesn't matter who the person is, doesn't matter where the person is being, y'all, people are people. Every person has a soul that God has implanted in them. And every person, I don't care 
what, the sin, the offense, the extreme, the life, every single person was made in the image of the same God that each one of us was made in. Which means my life is of no greater value than theirs. And they may not know God, but he knows who they are. And before they were even in the womb of the mother, he knew them. And he placed them where he placed them. Now, you probably think, yeah, we do all of that, and the church is going to be full. Probably not. Look what he goes on to say. He says, some will hear, and they're going to choose not to obey. Some will even understand, but they're not going to surrender. But even then, for the 99, y'all, that you may share with, God might only have one. But that one is not insignificant. Maybe God hasn't called us or this church to millions of people. But there is someone that he has called each of us to. So my question is, would you do all of this for one person? Because you can't say that you are emulating Jesus but not willing to go above and beyond. Because according to Jesus, he says that he will leave the 99 to pursue the one. Even the one is valuable to Christ because the Bible says when just one person comes to faith, the angels rejoice. For one, maybe it's not in the numbers. Y'all, the truth is we may not ever fill the pews up with overstated numbers. Maybe it is just going to be one person at a time. But my question is, who is that one for you? Me and Kristen talk all the time about, I hate this thing Randall Woodfin did, um, his platform, when he wanted to get elected, because he was like, we're focusing on the 99 neighborhoods of Birmingham. And I be driving through like 86 and 87 and 72, and I'm like, now, Randall, you ain't the 99. And we all know, even when we hear something like that, that ain't realistic. You can't tell me in four or eight or 12 or 16 years that you're going to attack and reform every neighborhood. And it is easier, y'all much easier to slightly invest a little into a lot and feel like you've done something. But the real work is not in investing a lot 
randomly. But the real work is in investing the lot that you have into a little. And I know that, yeah, maybe that wouldn't have gotten him invested, uh, elected, but if he had been honest and said, I can't fix all 99 of these neighborhoods, but why don't we just take one? Why don't we collectively focus on one neighborhood? And if I stay the mayor, if we reform that one, then we go to the next one. And then when I'm no longer the mayor, somebody else will go to the next one. Maybe that wouldn't have gotten them elected, but it definitely would have been more effective. And so what I'm saying is, you know, maybe we won't have flashy numbers. Maybe we won't fill up quickly. Maybe this is not going to be as impressive to other people. But the truth is, if you choose to invest the lot that the Lord has gifted you to invest in a, maybe a couple of people, your life will be so much more influential and long-lasting. And that tension that you feel of not feeling fulfilled or not feeling your purpose is being heard, understood, or lived out. Maybe you stretched a little too thin. Maybe you find the people, as few as it may be, that the Lord has called you to and give those few everything that you have. And I guarantee you, all of that unfulfillment and discontentment, it goes away. It goes away. And remember, maybe you won't ever see the harvest. But like Paul said, one water, somebody else came along, but ultimately, it was God that gave the increase. And that is ultimately what we are trusting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. As sobering as the word may be for us, as hard as that pill might be to swallow for us, God, we have to at least acknowledge we can't, we can't exist in a fantasy world. We can't live outside of reality, we have to do the actual work that you've called us to do. And God, if that takes us slowing down, finding one person, and not leading with the Bible in our hand and swiping them across the head with it, but maybe it's just being available. God, maybe it's just being present at something for someone maybe that's what they just need to see that this profession is not just a lip service but it's a life service God we know you've called us to the lost but you haven't called us to every lost person but there are some there are some in the road map of our lives that you've called us to God in my prayer is that in search of grandiose things, we don't miss the ones that you have set before us, that we won't try to easily invest a little into a lot, that we'll take our time, and the lot that we have to give, the gift that we have to give, 